Well, good morning on this chilly, wet uh, Sunday morning. I'm glad you all showed up. You know how it is in Southern California. Just a little bit of hint of rain and everybody decides to stay home and in their PJs. So um, I'm glad that you're all here. And for those of you who did stay in your PJs and watching at home, we're glad you're with us as well. Uh, More than a thousand years ago, in fact, close to 1,500 years ago, there was an African Christian leader by the name of Augustine. And he once said that Christians should be distinguishable from the rest of the world in their relationship to three things, money, sex, and power. Following Jesus should be visible in how it affects our relationships in each of these three areas. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, is it? Seems like every week I hear of yet another Christian leader or Christian organization that's fallen into a temptation or trap in those three areas of money, sex, and power. Christian author Richard Foster once wrote that most temptations in life could be summed up in those three specific areas. Just try reading your news feed with those three categories in mind one day, and you'll see exactly what I mean. The misuse of money, sex, and power permeate our world, and unfortunately often permeate the church as well. Well, today we are halfway through our series that we're calling Welcome to the Table. And in this series, we've been looking at the theme of hospitality from the book of Luke in the New Testament part of the Bible. And we started four weeks ago um, in Luke chapter 4 by looking at how Jesus was received by the people of his hometown, the town of Nazareth. And at first, the people of Nazareth rolled out the red carpet for Jesus, welcoming him as the native son who'd made a name for himself and had finally come home. But when Jesus announced what his mission was actually about, that it was to proclaim good news to the poor and recovery of sight for the blind and even to welcome people outside of the nation of Israel to the table of God's love, that hospitality quickly turned into hostility. And the people of his hometown drove him out of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. So much for hometown hospitality in Nazareth. Then in chapter 7 of Luke, we read about Jesus going to dinner at the home of a religious leader named Simon. And while they were having dinner, when an unnamed woman who had a sinful reputation crashed Simon's dinner party and demonstrated hospitality to Jesus during that dinner, Jesus turned to Simon and said, she's a better host than you have been. And Jesus announced that this woman's sins, though they were many, had been forgiven that her gratitude for the forgiveness of her sins is what led her to the work of loving hospitality that she showed to Jesus. Then last Sunday, in Luke chapter 15, we looked at the story of a father with his two sons, the story of the prodigal son. 
and how this story is a window into the hospitality of God that he has towards people, that God's hospitality does not manipulate or control people, that it welcomes the lost home to the table, and that we're called to rejoice in that welcome. Well, in many ways, the woman of chapter 7 and the son, the prodigal son of chapter 15, are both examples of people who fell into the temptation of misusing sex. And in today's story of hospitality, from chapter 19, we're going to meet a person who misused money. The person Jesus welcomes to the table in today's message was a person whose life had been captive to greed, a person who exploited others so he could line his own pocketbook and make himself rich. And today we're going to see about how God's generous hospitality transformed this man to show generous hospitality, and how it can transform us as well. So if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus found the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You can be seated. If you grew up going to church, this may be a familiar song or a familiar story to you because there's a children's song that goes along with it, right? Complete with hand motions. And don't worry, I won't sing it for you or demonstrate the hand motions. But let me just say that the person in this story is the last person you would want your kids hanging out with. Let me set the context a little bit. Jesus is on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem, a journey that started in the ninth chapter of Luke. Jerusalem is the place that Jesus will be rejected by the religious leaders and ultimately condemned and crucified by the Roman government. And on this journey, Jesus passes through the city of Jericho. Now, now Jericho was a city built on an, oa- on an oasis, but surrounded by desert. 
If you're a student of the Bible, you know that Jericho was the very first ancient city that Israel conquered in the book of Joshua. It's about 18 miles northwest from Jerusalem. In fact, today, Jericho claims to be the oldest inhabited city in the world. And as Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, a man named Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Now, we're told three things about Zacchaeus that are important. He was a chief tax collector, he was wealthy, and he was short. And all three of these details are important to the story. Back then, everyone detested tax collectors. And it wasn't just because people didn't like paying taxes. Most Jewish people did not mind paying the Jewish temple tax that was due once a year when they visited the temple. They would pay their their half-shekel temple tax. And most Jewish people didn't resent that. But Roman taxes, that was another matter entirely. See, even though Israel was more than a thousand miles away from Rome, it was considered part of the Roman Empire. Roman soldiers were stationed in every major city, cities like Jericho, as a constant reminder, you belong to Rome and to keep the people in line. And one way Rome kept Israel in line was by an excessive taxation system. Now, in ancient Israel at this time, about 70 to 80% of the people of Israel lived at poverty level or below. According to Bible scholar Craig Blomberg, the Roman government demanded between 30 to 50% of people's income in taxation. And to collect these taxes, the Roman government would hire local Jewish people in a city who would serve as tax collectors. It was a lucrative way to make a living and to get rich, but it meant turning your back on your own people. And so people viewed tax collectors as traitors, as people who were so driven by greed that they turned their back on their own countrymen and aligned themselves with a hostile force that was occupying Israel. These tax collectors were notorious for their dishonesty for extortion, for collecting more than the Roman government was required so they could skim a little off the top to line their own pockets. And Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. He was at the very top of a deeply corrupt economic system of exploitation of the poor. He quite literally had driven people into poverty and kept people there help you understand just how much people would have despised Zacchaeus. Let me give you a more modern example of someone like Zacchaeus. In 1902, an Italian immigrant named Charles arrived in the United States with just $1.50 in his pocket to his name. And like Zacchaeus, Charles was also short, five foot two. And Charles came to America with one goal in mind, to get rich. 
He was always looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, and after several failed business attempts, Charles ended up with an investment idea and started recruiting investors to invest in his idea. He promised his investors a 50% return on their investment in just 90 days, a promise that seemed way too good to be true back then and today as well. But Charles was charming and convincing, and investors flocked to invest in his idea. In fact, at one point, three-fourths of the Boston police force had invested their money with Charles. And sure enough, he started paying his investors at this amazing return, 50% on their investment in just 90 days. But what investors didn't know is that Charles was using the money of new investors in order to pay off the earlier investors. This created what we today call a pyramid scheme, an investment scheme that requires a constant influx of new investors to keep paying out the earlier investors. And meanwhile, Charles became extremely wealthy and started living an extravagant lifestyle. He bought a huge mansion in Lexington, Massachusetts and was living as a millionaire until finally this house of cards that he built collapsed, as pyramid schemes do. His investors ended up losing $20 million that in today's currency, adjusting for inflation, would be about $200 million today. Charles was sentenced to federal prison for fraud and eventually was kicked out of the United States. His full name, you might have heard of him, is Charles Ponzi. And today we call pyramid schemes Ponzi schemes. What notoriety for him to carry centuries later. People looked at Zacchaeus the way we look at Charles Ponzi. The very name itself implied shady dishonesty. Zacchaeus was a dishonest grifter, a person whose greed had quite literally destroyed the lives of other people. But for some reason, he wanted to see Jesus. I wonder why. Maybe he had heard that Jesus was not ashamed to spend time with tax collectors like him. He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the the crowd. And, And just like today, people back then could be very cruel to those that were different and to those who were short. I'm sure Zacchaeus had been the object of a lot of short jokes growing up, just another reason to mock and despise this wealthy chief tax collector. In fact, I can imagine as Zacchaeus is trying to see people purposefully stepping in front of him to block his vision, to prevent him from seeing Jesus. And so finally, he runs ahead and he climbs a tree so he can see. And that might seem like a creative solution to us. But in that culture, climbing a tree would have been humiliating, uh, something that only a child would do. So for a grown man to climb a tree would have been humiliating and embarrassing. No doubt the crowd howled in laughter as they watched Zacchaeus scamper up a tree like a child. But he didn't care. He just wanted to see Jesus. And as Jesus approaches... And he sees Zacchaeus. 
He stops. We don't know what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus' eyes in that moment. Maybe longing. Maybe faith. Maybe regret. But whatever he saw, instead of just passing through Jericho, as the text says Jesus intended to do on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. He invites himself over. And the text says that Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his house gladly. He welcomed Jesus to his table. Most people wouldn't be caught dead at his table. Jesus' visit to Zacchaeus' home was not popular with any of the people. The people murmur, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, previously in Luke, it's been only the religious leaders who complained about how G- who Jesus ate with. But here in chapter 19, verse 7, it's all the people, each and every one of the people. They've probably all been exploited or extorted or cheated by Zacchaeus or one of the many people under his pyramid scheme of extortion. And going to someone's house for a meal was a big deal back then. It made a statement. A person with a good reputation would rub off on you, increasing your honor and status in the community. But a person with a bad reputation also rubbed off, hurting your honor and status in the community. And one thing that made Jesus so unique is he would share a meal, share a table with anyone. In chapter 7, he shared a table with Simon the Pharisee, someone at the top of the, the ladder, the social ladder within that community. And here in chapter 19, he shares a table with Zacchaeus, someone at the bottom of that ladder. During the meal, Zacchaeus stands up to make an announcement that he is now determined to give away half of his wealth to the poor. Now, it was considered in Jewish culture back then generous for a wealthy person to give away between 10 and 20% of their wealth to the poor. Anything beyond that was considered foolish. Yet Zacchaeus here more than doubles what the common expectation was, vowing to give away half of what he had to help people. He also vows to pay back anyone he's cheated. Now, in ancient Jewish culture at that time, if you were caught cheating someone, Jewish law required you to make double restitution to that person. So by promising to pay back four times the amount, Zacchaeus is going way above and beyond what was legally required by ancient Jewish law. And Jesus declares that salvation has come to the home of Zacchaeus that day. The vows that Zacchaeus makes in this story publicly demonstrate his faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, even Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you may know that Abraham was the ancient forefather of the people of Israel from the book of Genesis. 
Abraham was considered the father of the family of God with the people who were part of Israel called his sons and daughters. But but most of the people in Jesus's day would have believed that Zacchaeus had forfeited that status as a son of Abraham by being a tax collector, much as the prodigal son believed he had forfeited his status as the father's son by the way that he had lived his life. But Jesus says, no. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, a member of the family of God, welcomed back to the table of God's hospitality, part of the family. And Jesus concludes by saying that reaching people like Zacchaeus is why he, the son of man, came in the first place to seek and to save the lost. This is why he doesn't just pass through Jericho, but why when he saw Zacchaeus, he knew he had to stay at his house. So let's look at three insights from this story in Luke 19 about hospitality. Here's the first one. Hospitality restores us to our place at God's table. Hospitality restores us to our place at God's table. See, Zacchaeus had been born a son of Abraham with a place at the table of God, but through his greed and his dishonesty, he wandered far away from his place at God's table. He became despised, derided, hated. He became rich, but he became alone. Like the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15, Zacchaeus had gone to the far country, far away from his father's love. But for some reason, when Jesus comes through, he just has to see him. Maybe it was curiosity. Maybe it was conviction. And at first, he just wants to see Jesus. But once he sees Jesus and Jesus sees him, Jesus invites him to go further than just seeing. He he challenges Zacchaeus to open his home to Jesus. And Zacchaeus had to decide. Did he just want to see Jesus from a distance or open his home and welcome Jesus to the table? I mean, Zacchaeus could have said, no, I'm good. Saw what I needed to see. Enjoy your journey to Jerusalem. But instead, he opens his home and opens his heart and opens his life. And that's what transformed him. Now, back then, in order to be considered a son or daughter of Abraham, you had to be Jewish. A literal biological descendant of Abraham. But after Jesus came to the world, the Bible says God expanded his family to include anyone who trusts in Jesus, whether they're Jewish or not. All who believe in Jesus, the Bible says, become children of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 puts it this way. Understand then that those who have faith in Jesus are sons and daughters of Abraham, regardless of whether we're Jewish or not. Some people today just want to see Jesus from a distance. Curious. 
They'll climb a tree, maybe go to church with a friend, maybe read a book, maybe listen to a podcast. But when they see Jesus and he sees them, he invites them to more than just seeing him. And it was only after Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, into his life, at his table, that salvation came. And when we welcome him into our lives, a table is set for us. And we become daughters and sons of Abraham with a place at God's table. Second, we see in this story, hospitality changes our greed into giving. Our greed into giving. Much like Charles Ponzi, Zacchaeus was driven by greed. Greed is an overwhelming desire to get more and more money and more and more stuff. And you don't have to be rich to be greedy. Poor people can be just as greedy as rich people. Anyone can become consumed with greed. And greed over time will lead people to exploit others and throw them aside. And we live in a culture where greed is often reinforced, encouraged, even rewarded. Maybe you remember the words of Gordon Gecko in the 1987 movie Wall Street when he said, greed is good. Let me read the whole quote from Wall Street. Greed is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms has marked an upward surge in mankind, and greed will save this nation. Sounds a lot more convincing when Michael Douglas says it. But Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Colossians 2.5 calls greed a kind of idolatry, a false religious system with its own God. God's hospitality can transform our greed into giving. It can change our grasping into generosity, our avarice into altruism. When we are welcomed to the table of God's generosity through Jesus, we realize that it is all by grace. His grace. There is nothing we can do to buy our place at his table, to earn it, to merit it. It's all grace, and grace changes us and makes us generous. Generosity is the fruit of salvation. God's hospitality changes our greed into giving. And finally, hospitality transforms our wrongs into restitution our wrongs into restitution. By being restored to God's table, being brought back as a son of Abraham, Zacchaeus' sins were forgiven. God's forgiveness means that our sins are no longer a barrier between us and God. We can enjoy a relationship with God because the debt of our sin has been paid by God himself. We can be certain that God has accepted us and our place in eternity is for certain and for sure because of that forgiveness. But God's forgiveness does not mean all of the consequences of our sins are erased. Those we've harmed still bear 
the wounds of that harm. The laws we've broken are still laws broken. Our past sins sometimes cascade into consequences into our present and into our future. And Zacchaeus knows this, which is why even though salvation has come to his house, he vows to make restitution for the wrongs that he's done. He spent a lifetime extorting and cheating people, driving people into poverty while lining his own pockets. And it was all perfectly legal back then. It was sanctioned by the Roman government. But God's generosity leads him to make restitution, to make reparations for the harm that he himself has done. Sometimes we hear about retributive justice versus restorative justice. Maybe you've heard those words before. Retributive justice seeks to punish people for the wrongs that they've done in society, whereas restorative justice seeks to hold people accountable for the wrongs that they've done, but it also insists that they do something to try to make that wrong right. And there are different models of restorative justice. Some are very Christian, some are not, and I'm certainly no expert in restorative justice. But I think what we see in this story is Zacchaeus engaging in restorative justice as he seeks to make right for the wrongs that he's done. He's not doing this to earn God's forgiveness. Salvation has already come to his house. He's been found and brought back to the table as a son of Abraham. He does it because of God's forgiveness, because it's changed him to transform his wrongs into restitution. Aren't you glad Jesus stops in Jericho? Aren't you glad Zacchaeus climbed a tree and then welcomed Jesus into his home? Because his life was changed by it. He was restored to the table as a son of Abraham. His greed was changed to giving. His wrongs transformed to restitution. And we don't know exactly what happened to Zacchaeus after this. There's actually a later church tradition that says that Zacchaeus became the first bishop of Caesarea, Palestine. And if that's true, what an amazing transformation from a hated grifter who no one trusted to the spiritual leader of an entire city. I think there are a lot of people like Zacchaeus these days. Lives wrecked by greed, but curious about Jesus. Drawn to Jesus. Even willing to step out of their comfort zone and climb a tree or visit a church or read a book to find out more about Jesus. But when they see him and he sees them, he invites them to more than just seeing. Maybe that's you today. And you've been curious about him, drawn to him, seeing him from a distance. Today, he's inviting you to climb down from that tree and welcome you, welcome him into your house, into your life, into your heart, so you can find your place at his table. Your greed can be transformed to giving your wrongs to restitution. Let's pray.
as we close our eyes and bow our heads. Maybe you realize that you are Zacchaeus in this story. And God is inviting you to come down from the distance of the tree and to welcome him to your table so he can welcome you to his. And if that's you today, I want to invite you in the silence of your own heart to welcome him into your life so that he can welcome you into the family of God. Don't wait. Climb down from that tree. Father, thank you that your table makes us sons and daughters, that there's a place for each of us. We celebrate and rejoice in the grace that you've shown us. Continue using your hospitality to transform us to generous, giving people. 